0: There is usually not a lot of highlighting in the Obadiah portion of your Bible, and it is not a book that we tend to hear a lot of sermons on. Some of that, of course, has to do simply with the fact that it is only 21 verses long. It is, in fact, the shortest book in the Old Testament. But there is also the fact that the content in the book is relatively obscure. It is a judgment oracle against the nation of Edom, the people who descended from Esau. So this is a little off the beaten track in terms of the main characters and narrative flow of the Old Testament. Even the author is obscure. We actually have no idea who Obadiah was, or even if that was his actual name. The name Obadiah means servant of Yahweh. So we're not sure whether that's a proper name or a generic title. It could be either. What we do know is that this book was likely written shortly after the destruction of Jerusalem in 587 BC. The central burden of the oracle is to indict Edom for failing to assist the people of God on their darkest day. Edom is centered out for judgment for two reasons. First of all, because he was a blood relative. The Edomites, as I mentioned, were descended from Esau, the brother of Jacob, They were thus cousins, as it were, to the people of Israel, and therefore their obligation to help them was all the greater. Edom also seems to stand in this book for all the nations of the world in relation to the covenant community. Edom is being held up as an example. God is saying to the people of the world, you will be judged based on how you treat my covenant people. That's why Obadiah is in the Bible. Because God sees, God cares, and God comes. So hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, If plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Verses 1 to 9 represent the first of three observable sections within the tiny book of Obadiah. In this first section, the prophet foretells a day of proportionate judgment upon the nation of Edom. As they have done, so shall it be done to them. So, obviously, we have to begin with what they have done. As I mentioned, this all goes back to the destruction of Jerusalem in 587 BC. By this time in the history of God's people, the northern kingdom of Israel has already been wiped out by the empire of Assyria. And that was quite a shock and quite a lesson to the southern kingdom of Judah. It led to revival and a return to the worship and service of the Lord. But that revival didn't go as deep and didn't last as long as it ought to have done. Eventually, the people of Judah followed the path of their older brother in the north. And as the prophets predicted, they suffered a similar fate, this time at the hands of the empire of Babylon. Judah's subjugation to Babylon occurred in stages. There was a first wave of deportations in 605 BC. That's the one that involved a young man named Daniel. Daniel was one of the many young nobles who was taken from his family and sent to Babylon, where it seems he was made a eunuch and educated for diplomatic service while also being held as a hostage against the good behavior of the folks back home. But apparently that strategy didn't work very well. And in 601 BC, Judah attempted to break away from the empire, which resulted in a military campaign and a lengthy siege that ultimately ended in the defeat of the city and the destruction of the temple, followed by a mass deportation of the jewish people to babylon that happened in 587 bc it was a horror a bloodbath and a nightmare siege warfare is always unimaginably cruel by the time the invaders break through the walls they are angry and the defenders are so weak that they can barely stand atrocities are commonplace this was the darkest day in the history of the people of God. This was the absolute nadir. And on this day, this darkest of days, brother Edom stood aside. Edom did not come to Israel's aid on that day. And more than that, worse than that, Edom actually participated in the looting of Jerusalem. There's nothing worse than a looter Right? There's nothing lower than a neighbor, a relative in this case, taking material advantage of your personal tragedy. And that is exactly what Edom did. And and even worse than that, they they even arrested and captured refugees attempting to escape through their territory. Edom lay directly south of Judah along the king's highway. So as the terrified refugees made their way south and away from the rampaging Babylonian army, they assumed that they would find shelter with their relatives, the Edomites, but they were wrong. The Edomites rounded up the stragglers from among the Jews and handed them back over to the Babylonians. This is like escaping from the German army only to be handed over to the SS by your friends and neighbors. That's what was happening here. So God said that because Edom thought to prosper by the tragedy happening to his northern relative, actually God would cause him to be diminished. He stood aside when his neighbor was threatened. Then he will stand alone. When he is subsequently threatened, God will do to him as he did to others. That's what's being said in verses one to nine. You thought to rise up through this tragedy. I will bring you down. You thought it wise to stand aside. You, you thought that strategic. I will show you how foolish and dangerous it is to set yourself in opposition to me and to my people the oracle continues in verse 10. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. So again, not only did Edom stand aside, not only did they not help, but when the Babylonians were destroying the city and carrying off captives, the Edomites came in and actually participated in the looting. Some Jewish sources actually claimed that it was the Edomites themselves who set fire to the temple. Can you imagine that? Imagine that your neighbor is being attacked by robbers. They, they beat up the parents. And they load the kids into a black van to sell off for who knows what to who knows where. And while that's going on, not only do you not call the police, but you actually sneak in and steal your neighbor's TV during the chaos and set the house on fire. That's what Edom is doing here. And then worse, while you are stealing the TV, you notice that one of the kids is hiding behind the couch. And you point this out to the people ransacking and destroying this family. That's what verse 14 is saying. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. Who does that? Edom did that. And so God says in verse 10 that he is going to cut them off forever. He said something similar in verse 2. He said there that he was going to make them utterly despised. And that's what happened. Edom fell from the heights he had attained. Archaeologists tell us that right around this time, Edom began to shrink as a nation. Edom began to abandon some of their towns because they were no longer strong enough to hold them. The Arabs began biting off pieces of their territory and the Edomites had to migrate into southern Judah, where over time they shrank and shrank and were eventually largely absorbed by the Arabs on one side and the Jews on the other. They were decimated and diminished by the word of God and the justice of his judgment. That's why this story is in the Bible, because it reminds peoples and nations that God sees how you treat his covenant community. His eye is on them and his arm is long. Thanks be to God. Verse 15, for the day of the Lord is near. Upon all the nations, as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negeb shall possess Mount Esau and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem, who are in Sepharon, shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. The emphasis in this final section is on judgment and reversal. Verse 15 says that the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. Now, the day of the Lord in the Old Testament most often refers to a day of judgment, a day of reckoning. The Bible is saying here, you had your day, Edom. You seized your opportunity. But what you failed to understand is that God has a day. The Lord has a day upon all the nations. You should have been thinking about that day because that day is ever near. So here, in an immediate sense, we are looking at a prophecy of judgment, recompense, and reversal upon Edom. You drank, you reveled, you joined the looting party in Jerusalem. Well then, you will drink the cup of God's wrath upon you to the dregs. That is what is being said here in verses 15 to 16. In verses 17 to 20, We are seeing the prophesied reversal, the reversal of fortunes between Edom and Israel and the ultimate vindication of God's people. He says that the calamity that you witnessed in Jerusalem, brother Edom, will not be final. You jumped the gun. You thought Israel was done. You thought Judah abandoned, but that was not the case. I was not destroying my people. I was pruning and refining them. They have a future. There is a remnant and the remnant shall return. They will come back from this pruning, from this exile and refinement stronger than ever, more devoted to me and more aligned to my purpose. And my purpose now includes the destruction and decimation of Edom. You can see that part in verses 18 to 20. And of course, this came to pass in the years immediately following this prophecy. As I mentioned, the Edomites were greatly diminished by a series of military defeats and by the incursion into their territory of a stronger people who displaced them. They ended up as refugees, interestingly, in the territory of southern Judah, where they became known as Edomians, Edomians. You can hear that in the new name. For a while, they lived independently in those towns, but... Then the Jews came back from exile, and they began reclaiming their territory. The Idumeans were defeated by the Jews under Judas Maccabeus in 160 BC. And then again, a generation later, they were defeated and further subjugated by John Hyrcanus, at which point they were required to become circumcised and to fully observe the Jewish law. Thus, they were completely absorbed within the Jewish people just like this prophecy said. Now, that's the immediate meaning and fulfillment of this oracle. But verse 21 makes me think that we are supposed to see something more here. Verse 21 is very interesting. It says, Saviors will go up to Mount Zion and rule over Mount Esau. So, saviors will again sit the throne in Jerusalem and their reign shall extend over the nations and particularly over Jerusalem. Edom. The Hebrew word for saviors in verse 21 is actually the same root from which we get the name Jesus. It is the Hebrew word yesha from which we get the Hebrew word yeshua. So when you transpose verse 21 into a New Testament key, the prophet is saying Jesus will sit on his throne in Jerusalem and rule over the mountains of Edom. That is complete reversal. You laughed in triumph Over the helpless remnant of your neighbor. But that remnant was preserved, and it returned, and was shown favor, and it produced a ruler to which every knee will bow and every heart submit if they wish to continue breathing air on God's green earth. The book of Obadiah reminds us that how we are disposed towards God's covenant people will determine whether we are blessed or cursed on judgment day. It reminds us that the seed of Abraham is also the rod of division. Now, of course, that's no different than what we see in the parable of the sheep and the goats. Isn't the point of that parable that how we are toward the least of God's people is who we are before God on judgment day? Is not that the point? Isn't that how the story ends? Jesus says to those who have abused the least of these, my brethren, he says, Matthew 25, 45 to 46, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous unto eternal life. So Obadiah is the Old Testament version of the parable of the sheep and the goats. It is also in the Bible because it teaches us something very important about divine justice. The Expositor's Bible Commentary puts it this way. There are two distinct facets to the theology of judgment set forth in Obadiah. The aggressor will reap what he has sown, and the innocent victim will be exalted over his aggressors. No theory of justice can be complete without this two-edge principle, which ensures both punishment and restoration, close quote. So you want to remember that. If you are kidnapping, abusing, and raping Christian aid workers in Syria, you want to remember that Jesus said, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's one of the things we're learning here. God sees. God keeps track. He records the measure, and he will use that same measure against you, the one you used, against the people of God. That measure will be preserved and deployed against you on judgment day, both in the near and ultimate future. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting one of our preferred mission partners. For the remainder of this year, we are highlighting the church planting ministry, Mile One, in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland is classified as an unreached population, with less than 2% of people identifying as evangelicals. Mile One Ministries is committed to helping healthy churches plant other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. Here at Into the Word, I only promote ministries that I have firsthand, on-the-ground experience with. Mile One is bearing fruit and is being led and stewarded by people that I know and trust. If you'd like to make a contribution to this important ministry, you can do that by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. There are giving options there under the Give tab for both Canadian and American listeners. International listeners are welcome to give as well, though their gifts may not qualify for charitable receipts in their nation.